This is Tim White once again, and today I want to share with you a piece I wrote about the death of my father. Even after six years, this was not an easy subject to write about, but I feel it was important for me in the process of putting it into perspective, dealing with it, and ultimately forgiving my dad. This piece is titled, Death in the Family. Timothy White reported to the sergeant's office, the intercom blared. What's this about? I wondered as I wrestled into my red jumpsuit. I wasn't expecting any legal mail, hadn't written any grievances lately. All I could do was make my way down there and find out. When I reached the office, the shift sergeant was waiting in the hallway wearing a grave expression. Let's step over here, she said, motioning not toward her own office, but toward the chaplain's office just across the hallway. My heart did a free fall down to my gut. Everyone on the road knew a call to the chaplain's office meant trouble, an accident, a medical emergency, or a death in the family. As I entered the small cluttered office and sat down, my mind went to my dad and the letter I'd received from him just last week. We weren't on speaking terms and it was the first correspondence from him in five years. I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I wasn't the father I should have been. I'm sorry for the things I did as well as didn't do. Not going to your ball games, not being there on your first day of school. The letter went on in a similar vein, the words of a tired man who had finally realized he'd squandered every opportunity to experience the true beauty of marriage and fatherhood and wished he could go back in time and do it all over again the right way. And it was true, she'd never been there. My father was an angry, highly volatile, abusive man who had beat the living hell out of my mom throughout the short-lived marriage and then disappeared shortly after the divorce. Five years of soccer, two years of baseball, a year of basketball, two years of Cub Scouts. He was there for none of it. During my teens, he showed up rather unexpectedly and tried to be a drinking and drug buddy rather than my father, but even then he would exit stage left whenever things became a bit too difficult or too many demands were made of him. Still, he was my father, and when I received his letter, I wrote to him immediately and told him it wasn't too late. We both made mistakes, but rather than continue to dwell on those mistakes and allow them to drag us down, we could resolve to overcome them and work to create a real father-son relationship despite the circumstances. But now, something was telling me that might no longer be a possibility. Mr. White, the chaplain began, Do you know a Christopher Munnick? He should be your second cousin. It took a moment, but it finally came to me. I hadn't seen Chris since he was a toddler. I'd held him in my arms for a photo in front of Grandma and Grandpa's house. Yes, I know him. Well, Christopher called us earlier this morning. I don't know how to tell you this, but your father has died. He committed suicide. Although something had told me to prepare myself for this, it still came as a shock. When? How? We don't have all the details right now, she replied with sincere compassion. All I can tell you is that his body was taken to Baptist Hospital for an autopsy. She likely knew more, but wanted to let the family give me the details. All I could think of was my father, that often scary, always larger than life figure. The man who had worked hard and loved coarse beer, country music, young women, and NASCAR. The man with a terrifying temper and a sense of humor. He 
love to laugh and eat cold pizza on a Sunday morning. The truck driver, who had a woman in every large city from Western Salem to L.A., now lying on a cold slab, waiting to be cut open. I have the phone numbers for your cousin Christopher and your Uncle Tommy if you'd like to call them, the chaplain offered. It was truly little she could do besides offer her sympathy and the use of her telephone to call family members. The North Carolina Department of Public Safety doesn't allow death row prisoners to attend family members' funerals. Um, no, I can't. Not now. I just need to go back to my cell. Are you sure you're okay? Asked the shift sergeant, who had been standing behind me the entire time. Yes, I'm fine, I assured her. I just need to be home. You have my condolences, the chaplain said. Please, let me know if you want to talk with someone. I'll be here. Back in the relative silence of my cell, I lay down, stared at the ceiling, and lost myself in thought. There were no tears, at least not yet. Only a movie reel of memories. I recalled riding in the passenger seat of his big Freightliner truck, how strong and in control he looked, and how that teenage version of me and my Iron Maiden t-shirt and ripped jeans wanted nothing more than to be a long-distance trucker just like him. Now, looking back, I saw that strength and control for the facade it truly was. Eventually, I summoned the courage to return to the chapel and make the call to my cousin Chris. He told me if the lady who lived across the street from my dad hadn't seen him for a few days, and knowing he struggled with mental issues, she called the sheriff's department to have him do a welfare check. Unfortunately, it was too late. They found my father lying beside the riding lawnmower in his outbuilding, dead from carbon monoxide poisoning. He left a note, the contents of which were much the same as his final letter to me. Sorrow, regret for a lifetime of selfishness, and what I've come to believe was a sincere desire for forgiveness. My letter to him was in the mailbox unopened. Sadly, it hadn't made it there in time. Not that it would have changed anything, but a part of me will always wonder, what if? It took me a long time to come to terms with my dad's suicide. The anger, the sadness, the regret of my own. I have a few friends in here on the road with whom I was able to talk, but for the most part, I dealt with it on my own. On one hand, I was and still am angry to think that he failed to see the ultimate selfishness in the very act of taking his own life, while those of us he left behind are still fighting and struggling each day in a world he just couldn't face any longer. But the softer, more understanding side of me certainly understands what it is like to live with deep regret, and I, of all people, know how hard it can be to look in the mirror and face oneself in the hard reality of countless mistakes and failures. Only when I think of it this way do I allow myself the tears that refused to fall when I first learned of what he had done. I can then remember him, his positive traits, and his many, many flaws, and begin to feel true compassion. And that's it. <clears throat>